I'm Rachel Johnson, co-host of the Educals Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Amy Buckley is the Chief Academic Officer and Co-Founder of StudyHelp, a tutoring platform. You can hear Amy talk about Study Help at stephenmaletto.com slash 449. That's episode 449. Amy has given me a few hundred dollar gift cards uh, for Study Help, you know, to give away. That is so cool. Just send me an email at my contact page, stephenmaletto.com slash contact. Simply say, I would like a hundred dollar gift card to Study Help. First come, first serve. This is a giveaway that is awesome. Good luck. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Xander Sprague, the author of the book, Epic Begins with One Step Forward. Plan, achieve, and enjoy the journey. Awesome conversation, incredible practical advice, and such a great read. You're going to love this episode. Thanks for listening. And by the way, before you go, it'd be so cool if you would go to my website. That's right, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews. And uh, could you leave a review for me? Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. Boone Titanium Rings, found on the web at boonrings.com, is an affiliate partner of Teaching Learning Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and, and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Xander Sprague is the author of three books, including his most recent, Epic Begins with One Step Forward, Plan, Achieve, and Enjoy the Journey. Xander has a master's degree in mental health counseling from Palo Alto University and a Bachelor of Arts BA in history and psychology from Pitzer College. He is a member of the National Speakers Association, American Counseling Association, and the California Association for Licensed Professional Clinical Counselors. Xander loves speaking to audiences around the world. He is nicknamed the God of Enthusiasm. Because of his contagious energy and passion, he is a popular speaker, trainer, and podcast host. He is here today to help you plan, achieve, and enjoy the journey. Xander, thanks for joining me today, and say hi to everyone. Hey, everyone. My name is Xander Sprague, and I am so excited to be here today. Well, we're glad that you're here. And uh, uh, Xander, let's start by talking about what led you to getting a degree in mental health counseling. I mean, what, why did you go that route? You know, really interesting. I, uh, you know, super quick. Uh, I made, as you said, I majored in psychology. I thought I'd, I'd do counseling when I got out of college. And then I took a 22-year detour in through corporate America. I did technical training and stuff. And then uh, when I was working um, for myself and out speaking about um, sibling loss, which is something that I, I speak about, um, but I'm here to talk about EPIC. Uh, I discovered that um, a lot of the sibling survivors I work with kept commenting that they're, um, they went to counseling, but the counselors didn't understand their issues. And I thought, well, I, I want to do something about that. But the only way I was going to be able to do something about that was to be a licensed mental health professional myself. So at 45, I went to graduate school after a 22-year break. I got my, I got my, uh, my master's. I then had to complete 3,000 hours of, of internship. And now I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So I, I can do that work, uh, you know, on the, um, also. That is awesome. Uh, you got to talk about this for a second, though. What was it like going back to school? 
I, I got to say it, it was, I mean, the whole story is super, is like super funny where I, uh, I started looking for a program. I thought, Oh, I'm going to have to apply. It's going to be a long time. I found a program at Palo Alto university, which I really like, And I called to get information about it, talk to the director of the program, you know, because of my life experience and, and everything, he's like, uh, that's great. Just fill out the application. I need a copy of your college transcript. And I, I was in. So I, I, my story was I got into graduate school in like an afternoon, which was amazing. And so all of a sudden I found myself back at school. And although I certainly had spent the first 22 years of my life studying to come back to it, was was definitely challenging to get that those muscles you know back in and like as I'm reading textbooks what do I need to highlight what's important how does graduate school work but you know I I found that like anything kind of like riding a bike you kind of you, you get that muscle those muscles going again and you're like all right I, I know how to do this that's cool I I, I just know that uh I- it's got to be something else, a shock to the system when all of a sudden it's going, wait a second, we did this before, all right? We, <laughs> you're, you're doing this to me again, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, all, all of a sudden I had to write papers. Yes, and, exactly. And, and do research and, <laughs> and, and all of that. And that definitely was, was challenging. Um, you know, funny thing is throughout my program, uh, my cohorts um, one, uh, enjoyed reminding me that I was – as older their as old as their parents, or in some cases older than their parents. So that that was always nice when I was reminded that I was the old man in the room. Isn't that special? You know, that's just that's one of those things. There, um, it's like yeah, yeah, but you do know there was electricity, right? When I was going to college before, so we're not going that far back, right? <laughs> well, I mean, what I like to say is when I was in college last century. <laughs> nice, 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 nice. <laughs> You gotta like that. Oh man, you're old. We say, uh, do you remember? Do you remember? I don't know how, how old you are yeah, now. Exactly. But, but, I would use references, and they had no idea what I was talking about. Like, how do you not know that reference? That's awesome because that's where I was going with it. That's it's it's really bad when uh, someone says you know you you make a reference to something that uh, um, has usually gotten you some sort of laughs or some sort of interest, and uh, they look at you and go. You know, I think my dad mentioned that show once or twice, you know, yeah. and, and it's like, thanks a lot. You know, it's, yeah, I, I, absolutely. <laughs> good stuff. Uh, so let's dive into your book. Epic begins with one step forward, plan, achieve, and enjoy the journey. In your book, you talk about making an epic journey. Who's your audience? Who's your book for? My book is for, honestly, it is for everyone because I believe everyone has at least one, if not more, epic things, epic journeys that they want to take. Now, I, I want to be clear that epic does invoke a, a hugeness, a largeness. And, and your own epic journey is, but you, I'm not here to define what your epic is. Your epic may be to go back to school to get that degree. It could be to travel to that country you always dreamed of going to. It could be changing your job. It could be changing the way you eat, exercising. Whatever your epic goals are, are yours. And I'm here to just support people. I'm also here to help companies create epic work environments because I think if we enjoy where we work most days, it's it's a win-win for, for you as a employee and also for for your you know for the company that's awesome i because you know in my world and education and such i mean teachers administrators and they work with kids and so i i, I saw this as my whole and not only that then you got district level staff and and, oh, gosh, and then yeah. also post-secondary so and and so i look at all of them and i think about the different types of epic journeys that many of them might um start thinking about going on. And, and some of them, it's going to start with retirement, which is interesting, by the way. Um, that's I just I want you to know, that's one of the messages I was getting through your book is that it's not, you know, is it, that uh, it, you, know, you, you might be starting a new. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and that's, look, our epic journeys are scary. They can be. 
Um, you know, Steve, what I thought about when I came up with Epic and, and stuff, I thought about what does, what does Epic stand for? And for me, Epic stands for every pilgrimage involves commitment. And I think for each of us, we really are on a pilgrimage to achieve our Epic goals. And so uh, for me, I was certainly on this, there was a lot of commitment on my pilgrimage to get my, my license. Because check this out. I go through graduate school. I go through my 3,000 hours. I finished that in February of 2020. I'm all ready to take the, the licensing exam and go out and start speaking. We all know what happened in March. We couldn't go anywhere. So all of those plans that I had made were on hold. So I, I had to decide how I was going to do what I was going to do. And that's really where that was sort of the, how the idea for Epic Begins with One Step Forward came about is as I was sitting in my apartment, not doing a whole heck of a lot and sort of feeling sorry for myself because I was like, well, I can't do anything. Can't go get licensed. I can't go speak in front of audiences. What am I going to do? And I had this idea that Epic does begin with one step forward. And how was I going to take that step? That's awesome. Cause that's, you know, there's any number of, av- I mean, just, Oh my gosh. I, when I read this, there's so many things, everything from, you know, wanting to, to pursue a, a new career, a new degree, a family, a, you know, a, a, just a switch in uh, how you f- focus on world, maybe writing a book, maybe, uh, I mean, there's any number of aspects that, that kind of fit with this, but fear sets in. And, you know, the idea that I don't know if I could do this. Well, there, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I think um, what happens is when we think about these these epic, epic goals in our life, epic journeys that we'd like to go on, um, they seem so big, so scary, so unattainable. But but here's the thing: they're not. If we break, if we break this down into manageable bite-sized pieces, it's what I call the pizza analogy. When you eat pizza, you don't stuff the whole thing in your mouth. You eat it one slice at a time. Well, you might if you have like a hungry teenage boy, you might have to <laughs> stuff it into your mouth because then you wouldn't have a chance. Right. But that's not the point here, Steve. <laughs> but if we put it into manageable steps, um, it's really not as difficult. And I think we tend to make things a lot more difficult than they need to be. And I don't, I, I like, sometimes I'm like, why? I catch myself and go, don't make it more difficult than it needs to be. That's so powerful because that's, I do, I find myself doing that all the time. It's like, what am I doing here? You know, it's, so you started to talk about something I got to make sure I mention, which is, so go ahead and kind of explain to us what an epic goal is. I think an epic goal is, it's that thing that we, in our free time, we think about that we're like, gosh, I'd really like to do that. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you an epic goal of mine. Someday, I would love to be able to go for a ride in the blue in a Blue Angel jet. Oh, I love it! That's awesome. Okay. Yes. There, there's an epic goal, and I'm going to circle around back to that in in just a little bit. And so, but I just want to put that out there that there's an epic goal. Another epic goal of mine: I want to be an Amazon bestseller. I want to speak in front of audience of thousands. I want to help people. I want people to really embrace their own epic goals. And if I can help them, that's what I want to do. I love this. This is awesome because, you know, when you look at epic goals, I mean, there's any number of them that people might have and, and it's, it's, you know, making it go from the dream to reality, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I love the idea. That would be so cool to fly in one of those jets with, a, with the Blue Angels. Oh. Yeah, wouldn't it though? Oh, yeah. That's that's too cool. Um, you know, one of the things that that we got to talk about here then is so how 
you know, let's talk about how someone can discover or visualize, realize, I mean, what's that path? What's that like trying to make that happen and make that a reality? If they say the goal, then how do so, how I start so putting that I in think, I think stating your goal uh, out loud is really powerful. We say so much stuff in our head, but when we say it out loud and someone else hears it, then all of a sudden there's a little accountability. However, I'll give you a personal example here of, of that whole, that whole you know, discover, visualize, and then realize that epic goal. Uh, I grew up out uh, in Massachusetts outside, you know, and I watched the Boston Marathon. And I always thought, oh, it'd be great to, to run a marathon. Just one of those things, right? But then um, when I was in my late 30s, I started to run and I thought, well, I'm enjoying this. I'd really like to run a marathon, but I had no idea. And let me tell you, Steve, 26.2 miles covered on foot is a really long way. I mean, a really long way. So I was like, it was so audacious, so big. So how do I do that? So I joined Team in Training, which is a fundraising um, side of the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. And they handed me the most brilliant thing in the world. They handed me a schedule. And there are two things that happened. One, it made the training so much easier because all I had to do was look at the day and say, let's say it says today, go run 30 minutes. I go run 30 minutes. That's all I had to do. I had taken that step today. And then tomorrow, go out and run eight miles. All right, I'll cover, I'll cover the eight miles. But the other thing that I discovered and, and I, I think is so important is I think most people feel really so much more comfortable when they're structure. I kid that I'm structure boy. You give me some structure and I am good to go. I got a blooper. I, I can follow that, those steps. And I think in the educational world, structure is so very important. And, um, when we have structure, we, we, we have safety. And during my internship, I, I, was, I discovered that how important structure was. And I actually look back at my academic career and um, I had implemented structure from when I was like, oh, in like fifth grade. And, I, and then I'm like, let me use it with my high school students. And here's what I said. They were struggling with their homework and how to get their homework done. I said, look, we're going to create structure. Start off with, start off with about estimate how much homework you have and how long it's going to take you for each subject. Like, okay, we did that. I go, now start off with the class that you hate most. Do that one first and work your way to the, the one that you enjoy the most. Right. So get the thing you don't like out of the way, put it in the rear view mirror. Now work your way to, to that. Have, have that schedule where you're writing down, all right, that's 30 minutes. Take a, have scheduled breaks. I go on your phones, and I know you're all watching YouTube or TikTok, set a timer. And when the timer goes off, now you come back and you do, you do your work. My clients who actually did that discovered that they actually had so much more free time because they, they knew what to do, that so many of them got stuck. And so many students I saw got st stuck with, I have all these different subjects and they're just, they're literally stopped. They don't know where to start. They don't know how to do it. So I gave them a, a way, a, a, a formula to do it. And those who actually did it, were so much happier because they're like, my homework really isn't that hard. When they had big papers to write, I go, write a page, write a page today, write a page tomorrow. When you're done, you're done with that task for the day. You don't have to worry about it. I had a student had to write like a 15 page paper. She started three weeks before she went to the library. She got the book she needed because she didn't wait. She wrote the paper. She had time to have a proofread. She ended up getting an A on the paper, her first A and on an English paper in her whole entire life. And she came in and she was so excited. And she said, it's because 
I had structure. It just was it it just wasn't that hard, Xander. I'm like, absolutely. Don't make it harder than it needs to be. That's awesome. It you know, I as I'm taking notes while you're while you're talking about <laughs> I'm this sorry, stuff. Sorry, I just went off on, on, oh, on a tangent there. Yeah, I have you know I apologize. This is awesome. This is gold, man. This is gold. <laughs> all right. Because because so much, you know, it, it first of all, just the concept of getting the thing out of the way that you don't want to do. Okay, I got to go back to that. You know, the, the thing that's the toughest or something like that. I mean, how much time is wasted on just worrying about the toughest thing? It, it's, it's basic psychological human nature. I mean, it's psychologically, we tend to avoid the thing that, that is going to give us discomfort or make us feel uncomfortable. So if we get that out of the way up front when we have all that energy, I mean, for me, math was not my favorite subject. So I would do math the first. And, and the thing I did from fifth grade all the way through graduate school, and when I got overwhelmed, I, I was seen by, by my friends and stuff. And I know this is audio, but I was literally held up my hand and was just going finger to finger because I was in my mind putting the order in which I was doing homework and thinking about that and saying, all right, math, English, history, science. And, and I did it in the same exact order every single day. And that structure made it much more manageable. It made my time management so much better. And I think um, for all the teachers out there, this can help your students who, who are struggling. It really can. Because it, it, they're like, oh, I only have, you know, let's say it's a half hour, 20 minutes. I spend my 20 minutes here. I'll go on to something else. Don't work for more than 45 minutes. Psychologically, we just can't retain that information. Um, take a break. Take a 10-minute break. Come back to what you need to do. By chunking it up, it makes it so much more manageable and, and you're like, oh, I got this. It's kind of like the pizza. You eat that first piece of pizza. Then you get to work on the second piece of pizza. And then the third. I like that. I like that analogy. You know, it's because it's so, it's so easy. It's so caught up in, you know, just as a note, you know, as, as a kid, my, my structure went like this. What's the easiest and fastest thing I can get done first, all right? And I yeah. focused on that. And then I went and did whatever else is I needed to get done. <laughs> and then I came back to that last thing. Now, that worked for me until you started getting into the world of, uh, you can't get this part of this project done in this night. <laughs> Absolutely. And, 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 I, and I also think that um, when, you, when, when you get to the end of your evening of doing work and you're mentally and physically tired, but you're doing some, you're doing a subject that actually you like, it just doesn't seem as hard because you're like, Oh, okay. I got it. I, I, I had a, a student who really loved reading. So we made her English homework the last. And I said, well, even if you're really tired, how do you feel? Oh, well, it doesn't matter how tired I am. I love reading. I'm like, so do that. And when she was doing this, She's like, I got through all the pages of the book. It was so easy. And I actually looked forward to it. I was like working towards when do I get to read the book? Oh, I, I have to do my science first. Oh, science is done. Now I get to read. And she was all excited about it. And I think that's so key um, for, I mean, look, homework is, no one is really jumping up and down for homework. Or I'll, uh, most people aren't, right? Right, right. There is that occasional student's like, give me more, you know, the Sheldon Coopers of, of the world. <laughs> yes, yes. I like that. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> you know, one of the things I want to do is, you know, we're, 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 I think this is going to be a good place to, to shift into this gear, which is to, to talk about how just that one small step can make a big difference. Can you talk about well, that? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, Again, when we take that, that one step and we go, that's all I need to do, you have a sense of accomplishment. And you go, okay, well, gee, that wasn't nearly as hard as I thought it was. 
And then you take the second step and well, look at that. I was able to accomplish that. I think that's really, you know, when we have success, it, it makes us want, want to continue. Who doesn't want to be successful? Right. 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 Yeah. That's, and, and, and I think, when we have other people who will cheer, even our, even what seems like the littlest step, encouragement is enormous. It really, it, it boosts so many of us. Who doesn't like to have a, you did a good job and, and that was challenging and I see that, right? Um, you know, I, I have two daughters. My younger daughter is a sophomore and geometry, like for me, really big challenge for. And so every little step, every victory she has, I am all about celebrating that because I really do believe that that helps her in, you know, when stuff isn't going as well, when she doesn't do as well on, on a quiz or says, I'm just really struggling with, with this formula. I get that. I acknowledge it, but I'm celebrating the victories. Yeah, that's excellent. Because, you know, one of the things, I don't care how old you are, it's, you know, from a little kid to, you know, you can be as out there, if you'll admit it, I mean, if they'll admit it, the, the we all like to have some sort of, you're on the right track, this is going to work out. Well, this praise, is I think people like praise. Yeah. I think people like to to know that that they they're being recognized for what they're doing. I mean... Teachers, all of you, your jobs are incredibly challenging and getting more challenging as the years go on. And yay for you. You, you all are doing such a fabulous job where you're underpaid, under-resourced, you know, under-supplied, and yet you still find a way to teach these kids. And yay for you. That's cool. That's awesome. I appreciate you saying that. The, uh, you know, and I got to tell you this, this whole thing about the one step, I mean, like, you know, anything that the, I mean, sometimes, you know, the, the kids that we're working with, they just need that advice too. They, they need someone who doesn't solve the problem for them. They need that, that help, but it's also the adults. I mean, it's, it's part of what we do as, uh, as our world, we can get stuck in anything that we, you know, are thinking about or whatever to the point that, you know, the joke about how you eat an elephant, right? It's, uh, one bite at a time. One bite at a time, exactly. Yeah, and uh, but we don't do that. We don't approach it that way. We tr- approach it as if we were trying to t- take a chunk out of the whole side or something like this. You know, Absolutely. like we're like we're Fred Flintstone. You know, <laughs> absolutely. I'm glad you got that reference because that would have been scary. All right, so <laughs> I know I, 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 I'm fully with you there. <laughs> that would be one of my references. That you know, yeah, I've watched the Flintstones. We <laughs> I had the cereal for anyway. Sorry, I digress. Yeah. Uh, Xander, one of the things you talk about is you, you talk about two magic words that will dramatically boost someone's success. Can you share those with us? Absolutely. And I think this is really important in the school setting. Not yet. So, so much optimism. Have you figured out how to do that math problem? Not yet. Have you figured out what an adverb is? Not yet. Because if we say no, it just sort of ends it, right? But not yet is, there's so much optimism. It says, I'm working on it. I haven't achieved it yet, but I'm going to, or at least I'm going to try. Now, remember I I, I said I was going to come back to it. Have I gotten to ride in the Blue Angels jet? Not yet. Told you it would come back. Not yet. Not yet is, it may never happen, but I am so optimistic that at some point it may be possible. And I think not yet is so important for all of us to to say in our epic goal, have you achieved this? Not yet. When I was on my, my epic journey to become a licensed professional clinical counselor. 
I thought I was almost at the finish line. Are you licensed? Not yet. Not because of anything I did, but because I literally could not take the exam. It was not being offered because everything was locked down. But that didn't mean that, no, I don't have it. I'll never get it, right? No, that wasn't it. Not yet. There was this roadblock that, that I had to figure out how to, how to get around to be able to take the exam. I had to wait. You know, that's something that uh, I, I just love this thought of not yet because sometimes we just say, I haven't done it yet, so it's not going to happen. And so we give up, but not yet doesn't let you do that. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And at least, it, look, you may not achieve something, but you at least are holding that window open. And I, I know this sounds stupid, Steve, but not yet makes me smile because it's like, yeah, I, I, yeah, not yet. It doesn't sound stupid at all. Matter of fact, what it, it what I like about it is that it, it you know, you don't want to give up. You know, some people may want to, but you know, if you if you're going to throw that out the window and not want to give up by saying not yet, it's you're still leaving that window open where you can do the stuff that needs to happen. And I like that. That's that's got to right. take. And sometimes stuff takes us longer than we expected due to any number of of factors. Most definitely. (laughs) And, you know, um, you know, with all of, look, I I, go back to trying to address this to, to the audience. There's so much academic pressure on kids nowadays. And imagine how much better not yet would be for them. Have you mastered this? Not yet. Have I, have I finished my paper? Not yet. Have you started it? Not yet. Um, Oh, it's powerful. It it is. Um, And and I think, especially for the kids who are struggling, this concept of not yet, I think gives them a a lifeline to, for them to not feel as despondent. It's taking, it takes me longer to finish this, but that's okay. I will. I'm not done yet. Yeah, I, I love that because, you know, one of the things that uh, um, when I was a teacher, I had a teacher colleague who she used not yet. Basically, when you turned in an essay, mm-hmm. she would she would keep it and then she would write on it uh, not yet. If she wrote that, she's not ready to give it a grade because it's not at that level yet. And so right. then she would give you some suggestions. And as I was reading that, you know, this part of what you're talking about, it's just that I just remember her doing that, which was such a cool thing because, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep, keep going. Cause you're not there for a grade yet. Cause you're not even close. So let's, let's, let's go back. Yeah, and, look at and, these and, and, and that again, it's that power of optimism that you're doing good work, but it's not quite ready. And I know I, I, I can see that you can do better. Uh, I spent six years teaching sailing. And I can assure you that, that you know, I started when these kids were six and, and was teaching them up through, you know, their, their adolescence. And there were so many of, of those kids who didn't believe that they could figure out how to sail. And yet I knew they could. And all of the tears, all of the telling me that they can't do it and stuff. And that moment when they discover themselves that they can do it, that smile on their face makes, makes it all worth it. And I'm sure as a teacher, you have that kid who's struggling and struggling, but then the, the light bulb goes off, clicks in, that you finally figure out how to explain it to them in a way that they can conceptualize it. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, that's it? Yeah. And that light up in their face just makes it all worth it. It really does. Oh, you got that right. There's nothing better than when that light bulb moment happens and, and uh, they, they realize something. And then not only that, but it also helps when they realize that you realize that they've gone through that moment where now they're, they're getting it. And it's like, yes, that's what, that's what it's all about. Cause it's, it's yeah. just, there's nothing cooler. <laughs> I like that. Oh. The, uh, 
Good stuff. I, you know, one of the things I got to ask you about is that, uh, you know, in this, <laughs> thanks to this la- the last two years, uh, we've had uh, interesting things happen where, and there's still some people who have not gone back to that work building. So they're working yeah. remotely. And uh, that's, how can someone be epic at work even when they're working remotely? Well, there, there are a couple of things. I think, first of all, double down on being proactive about communicating with your colleagues. Um, we, we all have been sitting in our homes on zoom calls on all of that. And it feels somewhat disconnected. There is something to be said about that nonverbal, just being around people and that energy and that connection. And it's much harder over a camera. Um, and so I think if we, are able to figure out how, how we can be helpful to our colleagues. They feel connected, you feel connected, and that's really good. Um, proactively design the life and career of your dreams, right? It just means that there's a little more effort that's, that's necessary. It's kind of similar to if you live someplace where it snows and you got to get to work, you may have to be a little more proactive about getting to work because you got to brush your car off or shovel it out. Doesn't mean that you can't get to work. It just means you got to be a little more proactive about getting to work. Um, When it comes to your own career, I think if um, if we step into our own epic, then if we're proactive, we feel good about that. And then don't underestimate the value of being motivated. Again, it goes back to if, if we want praise, if we give out praise, if we recognize other people's efforts, then I think you'll get it back. People will feel good about that and go, well, I feel good. So I want to kind of pass. I want to pay that forward because someone else made me feel good. Right. If all we hear is all the things that that we're not doing right, never the things we are doing right. It's kind of depressing. Yeah, that it is. (laughs) That it is. You know what? One of the things I think that's, it's interesting about, I mean, I, I think about you know teachers working with kids, and we work in this remote area. And I, I think one of the things that's come out of all this stuff, and it's not just with kids, but the idea of being remote from other people, because um, you can only take so much Zoom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and uh, um, and I, you know, and and the idea that on the other end of that box is, uh, you know, we make uh, connections and so forth, but constantly doing work that way. I was just talking with someone the other day that. You know, it's funny how uh, I, I think they're realizing how much people can get lost in their work because they forget because they're, if they're working at home, they just kind of keep going, even though five o'clock came and went. <laughs> yeah. And no, ab- absolutely. You don't have sort of those those. Oh, other people are leaving sort of things. And and, and I think we, we do. Yeah. I, my experience in working in corporate America, there was a lot of talk about work life balance and how important it is, I had to create that. And um, if I didn't put some hard stops on when, when I was working, when I wasn't, people would schedule meetings with me because I had a, a worldwide team at 10 o'clock at night. And that was really challenging because now I'm thinking about work and stuff and now I got to go to sleep. And, and I had like sort of, left work, had a couple hours not to think about it. And I really wouldn't take one of those meetings unless it was like a, like a true emergency. If it was just because it was convenient for someone else, I, I, I maybe at the detriment of my own corporate career, I said, look, I'm available for 12 hours, 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. I'm available. But now I, I, I'm going home. I'm, I'm family time. I'm creating that work-life balance. And I think that's what's really important is to say there comes a time where I have to cut off. Now, as teachers, you guys are all so dedicated and you want success for your kids. But there does 
at some point there have to be some boundaries of of when you say I, I'm not working. I, I need time for me. I need time for my family, just like your students do. That's uh, so power. That's so so powerful. I mean, that's because it it really is, and we need to make sure we have those stopping points so that we kind of re-energize. I think if we don't, uh, we got some other <laughs> other troubles coming. I, you know, one of the things I want to ask you about. And I love this this imagery that you create here, which is uh, people sometimes need to work on turning roadblocks into scenic detours. I love Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Please talk about that. I think that's okay. Cool. Well, you know, I'm Steve, I'm a firm believer that the roadblocks by and large, the roadblocks that we say are in front of us are actually a mirage. They don't actually exist. Now, an example of that is, uh, I told you I grew up in Boston. I lived in San Francisco in the early 90s. I moved back to Boston for six years, but I truly, my heart was in San Francisco. But I could, I didn't feel I could move back because I didn't want to drive my car back across the country. I'd already done that a couple of times. I had a job and I was in a relationship that was okay, but not great. So I was like, these are the reasons I can't go. Well, it's funny how sometimes life gets tired of hearing your excuses and takes all the roadblocks that really weren't there out of the way. And in a seven-day period, my car got totaled, I got laid off from my job, and I broke up with my then-girlfriend. All these roadblocks were gone. I decided to move back to San Francisco, and my life is honestly fantastic because of it. So I think when we look at these roadblocks, we say, here are the reasons I can't do it, right? Ask yourself, is, is that really a reason I can't do it? Now, look, I will be the first to say that the pandemic was a incredible, incredibly long, continuing, somewhat scenic detour, right? But there is oftentimes a way around, over, under these roadblocks. We just have to be willing to stop, assess, plan, achieve, and enjoy that journey of, of where you are. And also realize that entertain this idea. I talk about it in my book. Be open to the fact that there may be different routes to get to your destination. I think human nature is we are all creatures of habit. Now, when you drove to work, you probably drove the same exact route every single day because, well, that's how you get to work. I know I was certainly that way. One day, because there were multiple accidents on the two freeways that I would have taken to work, I, I was forced to go a different way. It was a lot prettier. It took about 10 minutes longer, but it was a lot prettier and I'm like, why for two years had I not entertained that there was a different way to get there? And so when we have these roadblocks go, is there a different way to get to my destination? If this roadblock is here, the pandemic is there. So I can't, I can't go through this thing, but what can I do? How can I go around? Hey, I know what I'll do. I'll write a book. I'll start doing Zoom interviews. That's my way around it until I can get back on course and be talking in front of people live. I, I just love this reference because I, I, it's the idea that if you can just make those roadblocks into something other than they stop you completely from being able to do, and instead it just, <laughs> if I go, you know, the idea of, you know, I should have taken a left turn at Albuquerque or whatever that line is. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that it turns out that if I, by doing that, I actually have this, good adventure that I'm on, or I'm, you know, trying to make it positive, I guess, is my point. I like that. Absolutely. I like that a lot, because too often it's, oh, my life's coming to an end. I couldn't get past this. I couldn't get past that. And, you know, instead of trying to make that into a detour and figure out that best. Right. And, and maybe those things aren't really those roadblocks. They literally are a mirage. You, you're putting them in front of yourself, but they don't actually exist. I mean, my not wanting to drive my car across the country wasn't really a roadblock. 
I could have sold my car and flown. I could have had my car shipped. I mean, there's so many different solutions for it. But I only saw that, well, I don't want to drive. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, as a not want to drive, you you lived in San Francisco for a while. I did. That's got to be a fun city to drive in. Speaking of driving. <laughs> well, I, uh, yeah, okay. So when I first lived in the city, I had this awesome 1987 Volkswagen Jetta, no power, anything. Oh, nice. I was getting ready to say, go ahead. Tell me no, no power. Standard. And, and let me tell you that there are some very, very steep hills and there's, you know, if there was traffic, there are times where you are, Literally, it's like, I know what it feels like to be an astronaut sitting in the space shuttle because I'm literally, (laughs) all I can see is sky. I can't see any land around me because I'm just pointing literally straight up. And I'm on a hill and I've got a clutch that does not have a hill hold clutch. (laughs) So I got really, really, really good at pulling up that parking brake, letting, you know, kind of, having to let off the clutch so that I could get onto the gas and then let that parking break down and get going. So yeah, that was definitely a lot of fun. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, it's a pleasure to meet you. I always wanted to talk with somebody cause I've, I've been there, but I was not driving. I was, I was with somebody else and I watched people, I mean, just parking in some of the insanest places, but they did it. They, they managed to make it and they're on that, that hill and it, it'd be, I have, the whole thing yeah, about no, absolutely the whole um, thing about which way you point your tires when you're on a hill. Well, yeah. So, so if the brakes go, you know, your car doesn't end up down in the bay. Exactly, because that you got a bigger problem in that city if your brakes go. Yeah, your car could end up a commercial for whether it floats or not. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice, I like that. Uh, you know, so let's talk a little bit about this because there's things that can sabotage what we're doing in our happiness. And can you talk a little bit about the myths about grief and loss that sabotage happiness? Sure. And when I'm talking about grief and loss, you know, it's not just, you know, it's somewhat specific to, to losing someone, but it could be your job. It could be a relationship. Um, it could be your sports team blowing, you know, the Boston Red Sox, 1986 world series, still painful, hard for me to talk about. Um, but anyway, I think a couple of things that are really important. Okay, there is no proper way to grieve. Okay, and I put that proper in in air quotes here. It's your journey. Your grief journey is your grief journey. It's not mine. I may do it differently, but there isn't a proper way to do this. Um, there's, I, I heard this a lot, um, that I must get over losing my sister. I, my older sister was murdered 25 years ago. No, absolutely not. I'm working my way through that and some days better than others. But when we're, when we have grief, you don't get over that. I mean, if you had a, you really loved your, your teaching job, and then it turns out your contract wasn't renewed. You obviously have a period of grief. You may not get over losing that job, but you'll work your way through it. Here's something that's really important. It's okay not to be okay. It's not my, that's not my line, but I think it's really important and bears repeating. It's okay to not be okay. I think we need Some to of us deal with grief in different ways. And the last thing is there is no miracle sentence that will make it better for me. And I don't have a miracle sentence that will make it better for you. But here's something that's really important, especially when it comes to we're talking about death and, and someone dying. Um, Unfortunately, here in the United States, we we really don't have any process for dealing with dying, except to say that it is one of the most communicable diseases in the world. And if we talk about and acknowledge death, we might catch it. No, that's not, that isn't true. And if you don't know what to say, 
I'm sorry for your loss is actually really good for this reason. You're acknowledging that loss. There is actually a two-way street here, which is for both sides to have their, their loss acknowledged. Unacknowledged grief is so detrimental to everyone. And I really want to raise awareness that, it, it, you know, there isn't a miracle sentence, and that's okay. You just need to acknowledge that someone has experienced a loss. That's awesome, because I think too many times we don't take a step towards helping someone because we don't know what to say, and we're worried that they might not take it right, whatever we say. Absolutely. And, and, and here's the thing. It is really challenging when you say something, and, and that person who perhaps has lost a, a parent or, or, or a grandparent or something, and you, and you say, I'm so sorry, and they start to cry understand that it is not you who's causing them to cry. It is their grief. It is their way of letting that out. And frankly, um, crying, uh, when we cry, we release uh, certain chemicals that are uh, stress relieving. It, it's, it's a way of our body releasing uh, all of these uh, hormones and, and, chemicals that we have in us that get produced when we're in grief. So there's actually like a medically good reason for us to cry. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. It's, you know, it, uh, yeah, there's so many different uh, aspects to, to what you're talking about that, uh, um, you know, one of the things is just simply coming out of that world, figuring out how to get, uh, make yourself operational again. I, I don't know if that makes sense. I <laughs> know. Uh, look, absolutely does, Steve. I mean, when when I lost my sister, um, I, I quoted uh, Tom Hanks from Sleepless in Seattle uh, for about six months, where it was like people asked how I was, and I said, "Well, I'm breathing in and I'm breathing out, and pretty soon I won't have to think about that." And I think that's a really great way to sort of talk about where we get sometimes in our grief process, that it is all we can do to breathe in and to breathe out. But then we start to heal. We start to find our, our pathway. That's it's so important because that's, uh, you know, you, I, I think that, that would seem like it's just on that, helping us get on that path to being able to, to, to move further forward, I guess, is, is where you're going with that. So yeah, I like that. Yeah. One of the things I want to talk about Xander is uh, you've got something that you talk about called the 97, three rule. Oh, I love the 97, three rule, Steve. Let me tell you about it. I am a firm believer that 97% of our day is good. And we should focus on that. Now look up to 3% may not be as good. And certainly there are days where, um, it may be the bad, maybe more than 3%, but in general, everything's going really well. And, but for some reason we, we hone in on the 3% that isn't good. And here's what I call the picnic analogy or the barbecue analogy. So Steve, we get together, you come over for, for a barbecue at my house Let's, let's say we, you know, it, we're hanging out for like five hours. It's a beautiful sunny day. Couldn't be better. It rains for two minutes. Sun comes back out. We continue to have fun. Someone says, Steve, how, how was that barbecue at Xander's? Oh my God, it rained. Really? <laughs> you forgot the four hours and 58 minutes that the sun was out and we had fun. You nice. focused in on the rain. Why? When I was working with, with my students, I sort of, they would be talking about all the stuff that was going wrong with their day and stuff. And then I, I said, look, you got a 97 on your math test. How would you feel? Oh my God, I, I'd be so excited. I, that, that would be fabulous. I said, would you worry about the three points you didn't get? No, oh my God, I'd be so excited. I'd be telling everyone I got 97, right? 
So why are you not acknowledging all the stuff that is good in your day? Why are we forgetting all of that? I don't know. Now, as a history major, I could point back and say, perhaps it's this underlying puritanical belief that came from the pilgrims that um, somehow we're supposed to suffer in our life in order to make it to heaven. And I can assure you that as a Red Sox fan, that, that it unfortunately is embedded in me that even in 1986, when we lost the World Series, one strike away from, from finally winning it and we blow it, there was some part of me that sort of said, well, that's my lot in life is to get really close to what I want, but not get it. And in this sort of really, uh, this is really where it crystallized for me. When they, when the Red Sox did win it in 2004, I'm sitting on the couch, and my then wife says, I thought you'd be so excited. And I said, I, I am, but something catastrophic has to happen to offset this. I don't get this, I don't get this joy in my life, right? That's, That's awesome. ridiculous. That's sick. It's it's like what is that? I know. And, Sorry, it's, I've just had a hard time because I was no, like, you can laugh. So it's well, funny. I, I know this feeling because first of all, I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. All right, so this was okay. an awesome year that started off in the trash can, and and in the, along the way was just like ah, and then suddenly, what what just happened? And you know, the next thing you know is you know. We're, we're progressing through the division and into the championship and then into the world series. And of course, along the way, I had an uncle who's making fun of me. Cause he's, he's like, he, he goes, you know, what are you getting so uptight about? They've made it this far. This is awesome. And I said, yeah, I know, but they could do the next step. You know, they could do the next step. And, you know, and, and, and eventually they did, which was like, Oh my gosh, it took us 26 years to get back to the world series, not just a win. So I, I understand what you're talking about. <laughs> Probably 86 years. Okay. Yeah. That's all I get to say. Don't be, don't be greedy. But look, it, 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 again, we're talking about baseball and then baseball comes into this, right? Right. In, in baseball, a player makes it into the hall of fame. If they have a lifetime batting average over 300, that means that they have to be, they have to get it right one-third of the time, and we consider them uh, an all-time great, a, a Hall of Famer. Steve, imagine if in our own life we only had to get it right 33% of the time in order to be Hall of Fame in our own life. Wow! And yet... We get 97% of it, and we're somehow kicking ourselves for the 3% that didn't go right. I love it. I'm baffled. Because that's why sports fits so well with this, because as a sports, as a baseball fan, you're, you're living that, you're living that every, every season, which is, you know, it's, oh, that was awesome. But this is what happened out there if the, if only the, the, the person out there in the field or on that base or whatever, you know, I don't want anybody reading between the lines with, if I pick out one base in particular, but yeah. absolutely. And it feels that way though. A lot of times in our work, I mean that, you know, you're having the best day ever, but that one little thing happens. You said the wrong thing or you think you said the wrong thing or you right. didn't get the one thing done, but it, everything else was great. But that's that one right. thing made your day go. <laughs> exactly. And somehow we conveniently forget all the stuff that, that went right. Look, I woke up this morning. That's a really good start. It's a great start. <laughs> you know, I mean, and yet somehow we just, we, we somehow gloss over all of the stuff that went right. I made it to work on time. I made it to the podcast on time. I didn't, I so far haven't had a power failure and the internet hasn't gone out. So I'm having a, I, I was telling you before we started recording, I mean, right before we started recording, I was having a complete meltdown because I was having all kinds of different things going on. And this has been a great day until all that stuff happened. And the great thing is, I, I got to tell you, Xander, this has been awesome talking with you because it's helped pull me really out of that world that I, I, I'm a perfect example of it because everything was great until that little thing happened. And when that little thing happened, all of a sudden my world was 
done. Like it seemed derailed because you forgot all the stuff that was going right. Exactly. That was, a, boy, I'm, I'm, I didn't realize I was going to be a great example of your, <laughs> of what you're talking about. I, you're living it. I'm living, living the dream there. That's for sure. That's so cool. Well, you're so right about that. This is so cool. Xander, I had a blast talking with you. Before I make sure, I got to make sure I don't forget to ask you this. Where can people connect and learn more from you? Well, you know, uh, Steve, if you, a couple of easy ways. If you Google me, it's really easy. Now that's Xander with a Z. So Z-A-N-D-E-R-S-P-R-A-G-U-E, xandersprague.com. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, If you go to Instagram, it's epic underscore begins. And uh, I, I encourage your audience, if you have questions or you want to start your own epic journey but don't know where, it's, you know, I, I'm here to help you. The other thing is the book is available on Amazon, uh, the ebook for pre-sale. So I encourage you to, to go to Amazon. And, and if you're interested in the book, you, you can get, the, get in on the pre-sale for it. It will be available February 9th, 2022. That is awesome. And I will have all that information in the show notes. And, and congrats, by the way, with the, the book getting ready to be out there in the public. And I've had a, uh, the, the, the ability to read a, a preview copy. Everybody, you, you want to get this book. It's going to be awesome. Help you and do, your, do your thing and make your epic journey. So, Xander, before we go, i got two questions I'd like to ask my guests. And the first one goes sure. like this. How do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Sorry, well, sorry. Suddenly, the Boston Red Sox thing comes into play. Here, but go ahead. I does. Well, I, I, I'll I, I'll sit there and say, if we keep our eye on the prize and understand where it is that we're trying to get to, I think that's helpful. Um, I talked about running marathons. There's certainly some of those 26 miles where they're not going so well. You're not feeling so good. But I, in my mind, always remembered that I had, I had a goal. I had a destination. And even when I wasn't feeling good, even on my, on my journey through graduate school and internship and stuff, um, I, knew, I knew what my destination was. And I knew that if I just kept putting one foot in front of the other, taking one step, that I was getting closer each and every day. Love that. Love it. Last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? What would you say if given the chance to say thank you? That's a good question. And, and to have only one teacher. Oh my, Steve, there, 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 there are a couple, but I would say it was in high school. I had actually a, uh, my chorus teacher was and mu- music history teacher um, said to me, Xander, you have a real gift for teaching people stuff. And, and that's really it, at my heart. Part of who I am is an educator. I taught sailing. I spent 20 over 20 years teaching people how to use software and technology and explain technology to people. Um, I, I used to do a lot of uh, computer tutoring for people 50 plus. Uh, really super quick story. Uh, there was a woman I was working with in Boston. I helped her get her computer hooked up. We're on the internet. She goes, show me the internet. And I'm like, well, what would you like to see? No, show me the internet. And it was in that moment where I, I, I understood conceptually that for her, it was a place that, oh, show it to me. And I came up with the way to describe the internet to people 50 plus, or back then 50 plus now, but anyway, because um, I'm 50 plus and I obviously understand the internet. But I said, think of the internet like the world's largest library. Now, there was a concept that she could totally grasp. And so I said, you don't go into the Boston Public Library and say, what's a good book? Because they're going to say, well, what are you interested in? You know, it's too general a question. So you asking me to show me the internet, right? 
So I've spent honestly my whole career teaching people. I'm still teaching people. I love teaching people. It's just not in a classroom. It's in companies. It's in, it's on zoom. It's stuff. That's who I am. And her recognizing that and telling me that, and me, of course, being a snotty 16 year old going, yeah, yeah, no, I don't want to be a teacher. I don't want to. And yet I look back and say that really was impactful because that knowledge I, I have carried along and go, yeah, I actually do like to share knowledge I have. I think it's a horrible thing to have knowledge and not share it. I totally agree with you. And what, what an awesome example. I, I appreciate you talking about that. And Xander, this has been great talking with you. I, I can't think enough about sharing your book. Epic begins with one step forward, plan, achieve, and enjoy the journey. You know, what an awesome conversation. I love your focus. I love what you're talking about. And it hits home so much on my side. It's, in, it's <laughs> insane. And I thank you for that because uh, you don't know how much you've helped me. So uh, I wish you the best in all you do. Thank you so much for having me on, Steve. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.